Grigri is a voodoo amulet originating in Africa, which is believed to protect the wearer from evil or bring luck. The practice of using Grigri's, though originating in Africa, came to the United States with enslaved Africans and was quickly adopted by practitioners of voodoo. However, the practice soon changed and the Grigri's were thought to bring black magic upon their victim. Slaves would often use Grigri's against their owners and some can still be seen on their tombs. Sam Candle is not a believer or a practitioner, but something is driving this wave of strangeness. Planes crashing, one-eyed murderers, foul-mouthed fixers, and stolen art have become normal in Sam's abnormal world. My name is Jeff Argin, and this is the High Adventure Podcast. Hello and welcome to Season 3 of High Adventure Podcast. If you've listened to Seasons 1 and 2, I'd like to welcome you back. If you're new to the podcast, I invite you to go back and listen to the previous seasons and hope you'll enjoy what we have to offer. In Season 3, we're telling the story of Sam Candle, an adventurous insurance investigator that's gotten himself in pretty deep. Murder, theft, practitioners of voodoo, an angry pilot and a foul-mouthed fixer are the keepers of this cesspool Sam has found himself swimming in. We'll periodically drop in single-episode trip reports that have been sent in by friends of mine and friends of the show. Trip Report Volume 2 comes from climber, author, coach, and wide boy, free-climbing superstar Pete Whitaker. This episode is typical Pete, amazing accomplishments with a very humble approach. If you haven't done so already, please go to your favorite podcast platform and leave us some stars and reviews. These really help the algorithms and help us build our audience. The other thing is that it helps if you share this podcast with your friends or others you think might enjoy what we're offering. I'd like to tell you about a few things right now that are happening that we're really excited about. First, we dropped our first audiobook. It's called Everest Alone, Maurice Wilson's 1934 journey to be the first to stand on the summit. If that story sounds familiar, it should. We've gone back into the episodes of season two and added a new foreword and an epilogue and edited and remastered the episodes for an audiobook presentation. The episodes are broken into chapters and the story runs about five hours long. The cost of the new audiobook is five bucks. That's it. Less than a cup of specialty coffee that will give you maybe 10 minutes of enjoyment. We're giving you over five hours of content for five bucks. You can order your digital download from our website, accidentalproductions.net. At the top of the homepage, you'll find the book title link that uh, takes you straight to the store. For those of you interested in our film, Assault on El Capitan, we have a limited number of DVDs available. The DVD version has over 90 minutes of added content, including a short film on Ammon's base jumping accident and an extended interviews with the entire cast of Assault on El Capitan. The next little thing we're asking this season is for you to help us out a little bit and help us continue to bring you these stories. If you enjoy an episode, please go to our website, accidentalproductions.net, and hit the donate button. We're asking for a dollar an episode. That's all. If we give you any break in your day or any level of entertainment, it would mean a lot to us and, frankly, our monthly expenses if you gave us a buck. We're trying not to load up the podcast with advertising, so... Anything you drop on us will directly help us produce these episodes. In the last couple of years, we've all witnessed podcasting explode. 
I get a lot of questions about how to start a podcast and how to manage the media and the workflow of an ongoing show. Well, here's the tip of the day. It's Blueberry.com. Blueberry is spelled B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. And it's the premier podcasting media host. I've tried others, but I've always come back to Blueberry. Here's the thing. To get a podcast out, you have to produce it, you have to upload it, and you have to try to get it on all the podcast platforms out there in the world. Blueberry makes it simple. They give you a WordPress website free that integrates your account seamlessly. You press a couple buttons on the screen and your show is linked to the website and sent to all the podcast platforms. That's it. All of them. And again, tech support is top notch. They have experts that talk you through any question you may have. Blueberry also hosts webinars and their own podcast on how to produce your podcast. There's no contracts. You can cancel any time. You can also easily move your show over to Blueberry from another host. If I get asked about how to start a podcast these days, my first piece of advice is to get a Blueberry account. And you're a couple steps away from being heard worldwide. As always, you can follow us on social media at thehighadventurepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at High Adventure Podcast, on Facebook at The High Adventure Podcast, and on Instagram at High Adventure Podcast. We, as always, post these episodes on both our YouTube and Vimeo channels, and both these channels are found under our company name of Accidental Productions. Our audience continues to grow with Listeners now in more than 60 countries and in places like Hong Kong and Bulgaria and Namibia, Iceland and Chile. I can now tell you that the High Adventure podcast is heard on every continent in the world and in every state in the U.S. If you haven't listened to part one of Devil's Domain, I highly encourage you to go back and get up to speed on this story. It gets a bit complicated and has a lot of characters to keep track of. Now, here is Devil's Domain. An original screenplay, part two. Inside the Rainier corporate headquarters, Edgar Winslow, a proper British gentleman, comes through glass doors of lavish offices. Strolling past cubicles of workers, he goes straight into Walston Rainier's office. Walston, an even more proper British gentleman, is in his chair with his back turned. Edgar, he's gone. Walston spins around in his chair. He's on the phone. Walston, I'll have to call you back, Mr. Secretary. Hanging up the phone. He says to Edgar, So what are we doing about it? Edgar says, The usual. Airports, trains, bus stations, internet tags. And acquaintances, we're covering them all. Walston says, FBI, Treasury, Border Patrol. All cooperating. And Mr. Rossellini. Resting comfortably, Edgar says. He'll be going home tomorrow. And that crazy son of his, Anthony? Edgar says, stable. For the moment. Walston says, good. I don't have to tell you that economic viability of this company, as well as the economy of this entire industry, rests with your efforts. And Washington, says Edgar. Walston gestures to the phone. Good, but we'll keep them close. A secretary hands a note to Walston and leaves. He opens the note. Walston says, What do you know about a gentleman called Austin LaRue? Outside the Grigory Lounge, 
Sam's car pulls into the parking lot. The Grigory Lounge is a large bar dance hall with a Bates-type motel attached. Grigory is a voodoo religion most commonly practiced in Louisiana. It's an offshoot of Catholicism and mysticism. The parking lot has a mixture of cars ranging from Cadillacs to muddy old pickups. Sam gets out of his car and enters the Grigory Lounge. Inside, the Grigory Lounge is dark, strange, and amazingly alluring. Pools of light drop on the floor. What looks like a dart game is really a group of men throwing 10-inch knives at the outline of a man on a piece of plywood. The band plays funky R&B music behind chicken wire fence that encloses the stage. Sam goes to a booth where a Grigory Prince displays small bottles of potions. He's doing a reading with Austin LaRue. Austin, an optimist in his 60s, could find the silver lining in a nuclear cloud. He's also an opportunist and wears an ungodly amount of diamond jewelry. Sam says, got a potion for everything. Prince, get you out of your trouble, Sam Candle. Austin says, sending spells or fending them fuckers off? I understand you've had a bit of misfucking fortune. Sam says, word travels. Austin replies, everything does, but words faster than most things. Sam says, I need a pilot and a plane. Austin says, you interested in Grigri? It's a time-honored religion with tremendous power for those who care to take the time. Sam says, it's voodoo bullshit. Austin says, it's spells and fucking curses and luck of both kinds. But most of all, it's about fucking world and our harmony with it. Never under-fucking-estimate what you can't explain. Sam says, yeah? Austin says, let's have a seat. The two men sit at a table among other patrons. Austin says, Carlo called. Sam, looking at Austin's jewelry, I need some discretion on this one. Austin says, hell, you're the motherfucking land of fucking discreet. The word here is, if you can't fucking deny it, you better fucking be discreet. Where the fuck you going? Sam, not wanting to say, don't ask. Austin says, ah, oh, don't get your dick twisted up. If people I care about are at fucking risk, I just want to fucking know what the fucking risk is, and I want to know what the fuck is going on. Fair fucking enough? A fight breaks out among the knife throwers. It's a big and dangerous fight with so many people and so many weapons available, it's going to be bloody. Austin says, Come on, let's get the fuck out of here. Sam, turning to the fight, what about this? Austin yells at the guys, hey! They don't stop. Austin says, see, they never fucking listen to me. Let them fucking kill each other. Austin laughs as they go through the door. In the back room of a Grigri lounge, Sam and Austin walk to a small bar with a bartender standing behind it. Austin says, give us a couple short ones, Devane. The bartender pours clear liquid into shot glasses and puts them in front of Austin and Sam. They turn around and watch a full room of men playing poker and shooting craps on casino-type tables. All the dealers are women. If they'd kept up with the styles, they'd be attractive. But smoky rooms and biting off assholes has taken its toll on most of them. Sam says, Cops never bother you? Through the back door comes a young woman in lingerie, a holster and a gun over her shoulder like a bandolero. Behind her comes an older man wearing a disheveled police uniform. Austin. That motherfucker is the cops. My brother-in-law. A piece of fucking shit. 
and you see there's a pilot in here someplace? Best fucking pilot to ever lift your ass off this godforsaken dirt pile. He calls out, Lenora! An attractive young woman turns from her craps game. Austin says, Come here a minute, will you, sweetie? She picks up her chips and walks over. Oh, shit, says Sam. Austin says, Sweetie, you're a nice fucking package, and I want you to stay that way. You be careful with this man. Sam, meet Lenora Ross. It's Lenny, and we've met. She shakes Sam's hand. Austin says, Good. We don't have to be all fucking formal then. Lenny says, How's your jaw? It's fine, but... She popped you? I'll try to keep that quiet. It won't be easy. Pretty little piece of ass like this kicked your ass? Sam says, Austin, I asked for a pilot. Lenny says, And you got one. It was okay when you needed my truck, my house, my phone, but my plane's not good enough? Sam says, Austin, this is not what I had in mind. I need somebody that... Lenny says, That what? Has a dick? Where are we headed? Sam says, okay, okay, okay. Let's get in the air and all. Austin, the Sierra Mazteca Mountains. That's a long way, says Lenny. Sam looks at Austin. He never told Austin where he wanted to go. I never said, Austin says, he's the best fucking pilot around. He turns to Lenny. Diablo Grande. Sam says, what? Lenny says, I can't cover that kind of flight. Austin says, Got a wealthy fucking benefactor named Carlo fucking Rossellini. When can you leave? And he says, what about now? Austin says, I'll make sure some money gets into your account. Lenny walks away. Wait a minute, says Sam. Lenny, without turning, says, I don't think you have a minute, do you? Austin raises his glass. Bon voy fucking age. The airstrip is behind the Grigri Lounge. It's dark and dirty and cold. Lenny reaches into a small shed and flips on a switch. Two rows of Christmas lights brighten up the dirt grooves. This thing in good shape? Lenny says, do you have a choice? They climb into an old beat-up single-engine plane. Hopefully it flies. Inside Austin LaRue's office, Austin sits at his desk, a drink in his hand, half full. In Austin's world, it would never be half empty. He lights a second cigarette with the tip of his first. There's a knock on the door. Austin, open the fucking door and come in. Two men in suits enter. They show Austin their IDs as though they were badges. Suit number one says, Austin LaRue? Austin says, what you got there? You feds? Suit number one says, yeah. Austin says, not the law though. I know all federals around here. Suit one says, we're looking for a man. Austin says, sorry boys. Gaming? Sure. Women? Abso-fucking-lutely. Men? That's just not our game. Suit number one. Samuel Candle's his name. This fucking discretion is important to me. But in this case, I'll tell you the truth. I never met the man. Suit number two. His car's in the parking lot. Austin says, Well, fuck me twice on Sunday. 400 people in this place tonight and I don't know them all. Or what they drive. Get the fuck out of here. The sound of Lenny's single-engine plane catches their attention. The suit notices Austin look to the sound. One of them takes off after the plane, but the other one pulls a gun and points it at Austin. From under the desk, Austin points a sawed-off shotgun at the man's knees. Austin pulls the trigger, leveling the man. The other man makes it to the airstrip just in time to see the plane starting to roll. He fires several shots at the plane. 
Inside the plane, a bullet crashes through the back window. What the fuck's that? Lenny says, a bullet. Sam says, get the fuck out of here. Lenny says, okay, but my price just went up. Lenny revs the engine and rolls the plane faster. The plane rumbles down the airstrip and lifts off with a sputter. The man watches the rickety plane disappear into the night. Inside Austin LaRue's office, with blown-off kneecaps, Austin's victim is still alive, writhing in pain. Austin's on his knees, searching the man's pockets. Suit number one, laying on the floor, bleeding from his knees, hysterically says, Help me, I'll do anything, help me. Austin pulls the man's ID. He's confused. What the fuck are you guys doing down here? The man's partner re-enters and sees Austin kneeling over his blown-up partner. He pulls his gun and shoots Austin in the face. The magic bullet travels through Austin and hits his partner in the face. Both are killed. A man, wearing an eye patch, walks in. A limousine pulls into the driveway of the Rossellini mansion. It's the same mansion that Sam had burglarized. The driver opens the door for Anthony and Carlo Rossellini. Inside the mansion, the house is full of people who erupt into applause as Carlo walks in. A small band plays for He's a Jolly Good Fellow from the corner of the ballroom. Carlo smiles and waves as he moves through the crowd, shaking hands. He stops and shakes hands with a distinguished-looking man. It's Secretary Wells. Secretary Wells says, Carlo, my friend, how are you feeling? Carlo says, I'm good, William, I'm good. Thank you for coming. Come see me later, will you? Wells nods. Carlo turns to the crowd, and the band stops. I want to thank you all for coming to see me this evening. I appreciate all of your prayers and well wishes. I hope I get a chance to speak to each and every one of you in the near future. To personally thank you for the thoughtfulness and kindness you have shown my lovely wife and wonderful family during this trying time. But I'm sure you all understand that I must excuse myself from this wonderful gathering to get a little rest. Thank you all for coming and enjoy yourselves. The band starts as Carlo goes through the double doors. Inside the mansion library, with Anthony's help, Carlo sits at a large leather chair in front of a fireplace. Carlo says, the room looks good. No holes. Anthony, in the walls. Carlo says, say what you want to say. Anthony says, I have been, Pop. I've said it over and over. We have to hit and hit hard. There's people right out there, in your own house, willing to shoot you because they know you won't do a thing about it. We look weak, Papa. We can't look weak. Pop, we can't wait much longer. A gangster-looking guy comes into the study. He says, Secretary Wells to see you, Carlo. Anthony, fuck him. He's the one we gotta watch. Carlo says, Wells is the Secretary of Commerce. It's very important to us. Send him in. Wells enters. Secretary Wells says, Carlo, my friend, you look fantastic. You should get shot more often. Anthony says, wouldn't you love that, Wells? How about I shoot you right now? Wells says, it's a joke, Tony. Relax. He looks around. What a fucking nutcase, huh? Anthony says, fuck you, Wells. Carlo says, Anthony, be a good host. Go take care of our guests. Secretary Wells says, yeah, get us some drinks, will you? Anthony's ready to explode, but Carlo waves him out of the room. Carlo says, you're a brave man, William. 
Wells says, I'm just fucking with him. Carlos says, sit down, William. Let's talk a little business. As Wells sits, Carlos says, tell me what we have to do to get this commerce department to see our side. Wells says, Carlo, I am the commerce department. Carlos says, don't fuck with me, Wells. Wells says, Carlo, can I be blunt? Carlo nods. You're a criminal. I've never been convicted of a crime, says Carlo. Wells says, no disrespect meant, but we all know where all this came from. And it wasn't a chain of car washes and laundromats. It takes time to get things, how do I say it, ready. Carlos says, you're a powerful man in Washington. I know that. And I know that people are ready when you tell them they're ready. Seems to me the question is, are you ready? Wells says, not that simple. This is the Commerce Department we're talking about. Carlos says, it is that simple. You are the Secretary of Commerce. Wells replies, I understand you already have a man working on this. Uh, Samuel Candle, a freelance insurance investigator. Yes, says Carlos. He's doing a little recovery work for me. That's all. Wells says, he also killed his ex-wife. So you say, says Carlo. You got one I bet you'd like to see dead, Wells says. True enough. What I'm asking, Carlo says, I would consider a personal favor. William, this is legitimate business. No laws have been or will be broken in developing this business. I want some land rights, that's all, Wells says, in a foreign country. In a foreign country, yes, Carlo says. I just want a hole. They can have the rest. Wells says, Carlo, it's not just land. This could be bigger than the two of us. Carlos says, don't put us in the same category. You think small because you're a small man. You're where you are because I put you there. Don't forget that. Wait a minute, says Wells. I worked hard to get where I am. You're a whore. Your legs spread for a fucking dollar. Don't get me wrong, Carlo. I appreciate William. It would be a bad choice for you to listen to foreign interests and get into bed with Walston and Rainier. Is that a threat? No, 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 no. If you belittle my son again, I'll let him cut out your heart and feed it to your children. That's a threat. Now, go have a drink and enjoy yourself. In the morning, in a small restaurant in a Mexican village, Sam sits at a table looking at the shooter's glass eye. A waiter sets breakfast in front of him. Seeing Lenny as she walks up, Sam puts the eye in his shirt pocket and pulls out a picture. Sam says, hey. Lenny says, what you looking at? Taking the picture from his hand. Mountain hideaway? Someday, he says. A small earthquake rumbles through the restaurant. Sam and Lenny aren't too alarmed, but several tourists scream and run. Lenny says, earthquake. Sam says, I felt a couple last night. Lenny says, they don't bother you? Sam says, I was raised in California. The waiter comes to the table. Lenny says to the waiter, Had many of these quakes lately? The waiter says, Couple a day. Seems to be the season. Something for the lady? Lenny says, I'll have what he's having. And after the waiter leaves, asks Sam, So, why are you here? Sam says, Insurance companies pay me to recover items they don't want to pay on. And there's money in it? 
Lenny says. Usually 10% of the policy. Lenny says, but? Sam says, this last job was the end. I was packing up and moving to the mountains. Regular mountain man, Jeremiah Johnson. Trapping bears, killing Indians, that kind of stuff. Not quite, Sam says. I, I like to read. Maybe do a little climbing, start a guide service. So you're here for Diablo Grande? I never said that. Austin did. Can you feel it? What, another quake? Lenny. No. Tension. You want to fuck me. Sam. Excuse me? I think you want to have sex with me, Lenny says. There is tension. I'm not sure it's sex. Lenny says, don't worry about it. I feel it too. The sexual tension, I mean. She grabs him by the shirt and kisses him long and hard. Lenny says, now it's over. What's over, said Sam. The first kiss, tasting each other. Now we can move past it. Sam shrugs. You probably will. What, Sam says. Lenny says, you know, have sex. I'm sorry. You were saying you were here for Diablo Grande. Sam says, Austin said that, not me. Where did Austin hear it? You working for Carlo? You know him? That stops at his house a couple times. Look, Sam says, I needed a ride and you helped me out. I'd like to fly over the area if we could, and after that you can be on your way. You'll get your money, there's no question about that. Lenny says, there's always a question about that. I'd feel better if I came with you. You know, protect my investment. Sam says, why I'm here is a private matter, and I'd just as soon keep it that way. Diego walks up to the table. He says in perfect English, I'm Diego. You the Sam Candle looking for Diablo Grande? Sam's cover's blown. In the office of the small Mexican airport, the dingy little office has one desk. Paco has no problem filling the chair. Lenny, Sam, and Diego are in the office. Lenny says, What do you mean? Who confiscated my plane? Paco says, Sorry, senorita. Lenny says, Don't sorry me, Paco. You don't want to do this. Believe me. Paco says, Not me, senorita. The police. They take the plane. Lock her up. Sam says, Which police? Local? Federales? Paco responds, Federales, government, like you. Like me? You mean U.S.? See, American. Another earthquake shakes the raggedy room. Paco calmly holds the items on his desk in place. Diego says, DEA probably, maybe CIA. Paco says, no, 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 no badges. Business. Sam says, business? Lenny says, shit. When can I get it back? Paco says, Plane's locked up. No key here. Well, then he turns to Sam. Something's not right. Sam says, is it ever? Well, Diego, looks like we're going to have to find another way. Well, he says, what about me? Sam says, I don't know. Good luck. Well, he says, bullshit. I'm going with you. What I'm here to do doesn't concern you, Sam says. And I would just as soon. I'm going with you, Sam Candle. You owe me money and I'm going with you. Your money's guaranteed. Yeah, 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 yeah. By Carlos somebody. Bullshit. The money is you. You die, nobody's left to pay me. I've been there before. 
shit. Okay, I'm sick. Thank you for tuning in to part two of Devil's Domain. Hopefully you're enjoying our story. If you are, please leave us a review and pass this podcast on to a friend. Part three is coming and things are going to get a bit tricky. As I mentioned, this was written as a screenplay, so I'm going to give you a little bit of screenwriting 101 and see if that helps you follow the structure. It might give you a little bit of insight into how screenplays are written and their format. The metaphor for the structure of a modern screenplay is to identify your protagonist and get them into trouble. Let's say they climb a tree to save a cat, and then you light that tree on fire, and then you got to get them out of the tree. That's known as the three-act structure, and it's not always the case with movies and screenplays, but it's what we followed in this particular screenplay. So, where is Sam now? Is he in the tree yet? Come back soon for part three, and we'll see you at the nadir. I'm just like my old man, he told me so. Lying on his deathbed watching the picture show. The product of the night, the bottle and some smoke. Tricks and all.